0: Up to Deuteronomy chapter 16, and basically, I don't know if I'll ever change. But I've come to the point where I've kind of given up on teaching the whole Bible to you guys, man. I don't know if that's ever going to happen. You know, um, part of me said, "Oh, you got to do two chapters, or three chapters, or four chapters." You know. But then the Lord really spoke to me and he said, Manny, you don't have to teach them the whole Bible. I mean, why do you have to teach them? I mean, they can listen to Chuck. They can read the Bible for themselves as long as the Holy Spirit teaches them, right? And so you make sure you keep reading your Bible like I've told you before. It kind of takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian and it's cool. You look at the Old Testament and stuff. But for us, the most important thing is that we receive the message that God wants to give us tonight. And, you know, there's a lot of cool things that we're going to look at tonight in Deuteronomy chapter 16. You know, but in the nutshell, what it is, is God's going to mention a few feasts, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of uh, Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And he's going to share a little bit about those feasts. And in the end, what he's going to say is that the men, the men must go to the place that the Lord chooses on each of these feasts and appear before the Lord. You know, and, and it's kind of cool. I was talking to one of the brothers earlier. He came in for lunch and, and I was telling him, that would be so cool if God still had this requirement today, huh, bro? Because we would be required to go to Jerusalem, you know, three times a year. That would be awesome, you know? So let's go, you know? But um, um, obviously, that's not the case now. We're going to look at this uh, later. But one of the things that we'll see right off the bat is that God is calling men. To lead. You know, and he doesn't require the women or the children. They're invited. But the men were required to be there. And I just want to encourage you guys, us men, to to make sure that we understand our role and responsibility as leaders. You know, your wife shouldn't be the one saying, Hey, let's pray. Your wife shouldn't be the one that says, Hey, let's get into the word or let's go to church service. You should be the leader. And you lead in the congregation within your own home and and you lead within the congregation of the church. But we're going to see that today. The Lord, in in just preparing his people to go into the promised land, he shares with them things that would be vital in order for them to enjoy the land and continue to remain in the land. And it's so awesome, the book of Deuteronomy, because we have principles to live by uh, that really are important for us. And uh, we see here, first of all, the Feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread that work together. It says here in verse 1, Observe the month of Abib, and that would be our March and April, and keep the Passover to the Lord your God. For in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. Therefore, you shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to put his name you shall eat no leavened bread with it seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it that is the bread of affliction for you came out of the land of egypt in haste that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of egypt all the days of your life And no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory for seven days, nor shall any of the meat which you sacrifice the first day at twilight remain overnight until morning. You may not sacrifice the Passover within any of your gates which the Lord your God gives you, but at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, there you shall sacrifice the Passover at twilight at the going down of the sun at the time you came out of Egypt. Then you shall roast and eat it in the place which the Lord your God chooses. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. Six days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a sacred assembly to the Lord your God. You shall do no work on it. Now, when you study the feasts of Israel, you'll go over to Leviticus chapter twenty-three or Numbers chapter twenty-eight and twenty-nine. There are the feasts, they're mentioned. There's actually seven of them, but here we have three of them that are emphasized, uh, really four, we'll look at that. And he begins first of all there in verse one with the Passover. And the purpose of the Passover was to remind the Israelites of that night in Egypt when the Lord smote the firstborn of the Egyptians. And save the firstborn of Israel through the blood of the Lamb. For the Jews, Passover was their independence day. That was their you know day in which God set them free. And God wanted them to do this every year, the month of Abib, in the religious calendar, it would begin, begin their year. And the reason being is that He just wanted them to make sure that they never forgot that they never forgot as a nation and that they would pass it on to the next generation. You know, I think I mentioned last week how to them the Passover was uh, like the resurrection. You know, It was their proof. It was, man, everything to them. How God had with an outstretched arm set them free and brought them out of Egypt. In Exodus 13.3 it says, And Moses said to the people, Remember this day. You know, and I think it's good for us, and we're going to see this for the nation, and it also applies to us, man, to every once in a while, you know, go down memory lane and and remember the day or remember the the season, because not all of us know the exact day, but remember that time in which the Lord set you free, you know, and to go back and ponder on that. And and as you ponder on that and how he changed your life, you know, you, you praise him. And, you know, to share your you know testimony to a certain extent with your kids. And, and it's just a beautiful thing to be able to make sure that we don't forget. You know, Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. And he said, No leavened bread shall be eaten. You know, and obviously the same is true for us. And that's why... You know, Christian holidays, although not mandated by God, can be spiritually beneficial for us if we keep, you know, the the focus, for example, Christ in the center. You know, we have uh, Thanksgiving coming up. We have Christmas coming up. And if you're not careful, it just becomes a a bummer, huh? It becomes, oh, no, I got to buy gifts and I got to send cards and I got to bake cookies and I got to do the turkey thing and whatever and, 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 you know, it can be a, a, a real awful thing, a commercial event. But when the Christian is focused, it can be a beautiful thing in which we really have this time of really, you know, gathering our family together. And, man, right now you set in your heart that you will be a witness to your family. You know, even if they're believers, you still want to be a witness. It's an opportunity to show them how grateful you are and we should be for, you know, all the things God has done for us, Thanksgiving. And then there's Christmas, the day that the Lord Jesus came. And those holidays can be holy days, although they're not mandatory. It's something that God can do in our life to remind us of these things. And here we have the Passover. And the Lord said to the nation of Israel, I just don't want you to ever forget. I never I never wanted to get old. I never want you to grow cold. I want you to have this fresh in your heart. You know, for the Jews, the Passover was when the angel of death saw the blood of the lamb applied to their life applied to their house. And so when the angel of death, think of that, the angel of death came knocking at their door. He passed over because he saw the blood of the Lamb. Now for us, the same is true. In the New Testament, the only difference is that the blood of the Lamb is the Lamb of of God. It's Jesus. And as His blood is placed on your house, on your life, not with a you know, a a hyssop brush, but with faith, by simply trusting Christ, the blood of God is on your life and the angel of death, he passes over, you know. Remember what John said in John one twenty nine. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, that's the Passover lamb for us. First Corinthians 5.7, it says, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. He explicitly mentions him as our Passover lamb. You see, the Old Testament is just an illustration of New Testament truths. And it's amazing when you look, especially at the Passover, like Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1.18, knowing, man, knowing this, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. In Revelation one five, it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. You know, for them, it was the time that God set them free from this place called Egypt, literally bondage. But for us, it's this place and this time in which God has set us free from spiritual bondage and certain death. And, you know, my encouragement to you is to never, ever forget. As a matter of fact, let your appreciation grow as time grows. You know, I'm so grateful with the work that God's doing in our life, you know. And like I, I shared with you before, you know, there's these, sometimes these, uh, I don't know if it's a temptation or a distraction or maybe even it's the Lord, you know. But churches nowadays, they're really caught up in buildings and, and budgets and the size of their bodies. And, and the Lord's really showing me more and more that, that that's really not what it's about. That, you know, although we want the whole world to get saved, that the Lord is just showing me more and more. It's about the people that are already there. And as that as God works in your life, that as a shepherd watching over the sheep and praying for the sheep and trying to make good decisions and feeding them the word, that that's what I'll give an account for. And if the Lord chooses to give us a building and a big budget and all that kind of stuff, you know what? That's, that's up to Him. But right now, my heart, and I pray our heart as a congregation, would not be looking unto those things. But I want you to grow. I pray that we would be growing in our Christ-likeness and in our love for the Lord. And, you know, when looking back and, and just seeing what He's done for us is so cool. And I look out and I think, oh, man, all these people right here, the most of these people are saved already, you know? And they're growing and they're healthy. Lord, we need some unhealthy sheep. no. <laughs> No, you know what? I, I mean, I praise God for the work that He's doing, but, um, you know, we just need to be in tune with this. God said, I, I just don't want you to ever forget what what I've done in your life. You know, we read right here in verse 1 about the month of Abib. Like I said earlier, it would be our late April, early March. It's kind of the spring. Uh, later, God changed the name to Nisan. But He commanded the children of Israel to keep the Passover. You know, And on that first Passover, back in the book of Exodus 12, the people were to sacrifice their lambs pretty much at their home, right? But now, as they're about to enter into the promised land, Moses tells the people to sacrifice the lamb in the place where the Lord would choose to put his name. And we're going to read that uh, numerous times throughout this chapter. And you're going to see it's really cool what that ends up meaning at the end. But as you study the feasts of the Jews, one of the things you'll know is that the the Passover was that one day of celebration, but the unleavened bread, and it's kind of like they're linked throughout the Bible. It, it it follows right on the heels of the Passover for seven days. And then he mentions that right there. Again, look, it says in verse 2, You shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd and the place where the Lord chooses to put his name. You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. With it, that is the bread of affliction. And so these feasts, they're linked right there together. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to be a week long celebration in which the people were not to eat any unleavened bread. Although they didn't have unleavened bread, they had a lot of other good stuff. And so one of the things you'll notice about the Feasts of Israel is that they were feasts. It's kind of cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> And as a matter of fact, except for the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, and that was the only day you would afflict yourself and you would fast. But every other day they were just partying, man. They were just having a wonderful, joyful feasting time. Even here where we read, you've got to eat all the meat. You've got to stuff yourself. Now think about that. I know nowadays I don't like stuffing myself anymore. I used to, but I'm getting old, I guess, Right. And throughout the day, if you eat too much, it slows you down. And so now, you know, I'll just have some grapes and some carrots and some yogurt or whatever. Because the main reason being, I just hate the feeling of being, you know, stuffed. And, and yet God would say, hey, Manny, you stuff yourself. <laughs> and, and that was the feast. It was a time of joy. And I, I really pray that as a Christian you would have that joy. You know, there's one thing to be solemn and and serious and everything, but man... You know what? Make sure you have that heart of of joy knowing what God has done for you. And it's not a sin to laugh and to joke around and to have fun. It's really okay in the Lord's eyes, you know? But here he says, man, I want you guys to feast. Although you can't have unleavened bread, you're going to have this meal. Think about it. A whole week of celebration. That's cool, huh? They knew how to party back then, man. Here we see that it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we see that element of it for a couple of reasons. Number one, on the Feast of the Passover, they went from bondage to blessing. They went from the fire to freedom. They went from slaves to sons, literally overnight. And God wanted them, when they celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread, to remember the pain because there's a purpose for the pain. As a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting. He says, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it. That is the bread of affliction. And so there you are, and we have some unleavened bread in the back. And, and, you know, you guys, you know, I mean, I like leavened bread, to be honest with you. I love the big old fat, you know, loaves. Have you guys ever done that where you stick your hand in the middle and you just take all the white stuff? Yeah, I like that, you know. But we also have unleavened bread, and it's just like these crackers and matzah things back there, you know. And you're eating this, and you're going, man, this is different, you know. Once a year, this is different. But God wanted, as you're eating that unleavened bread, he wanted you to be uh, there and and understanding, remembering the pain that they went through in Egypt. He calls it right here the bread of affliction. I want you to remember the bread of affliction. Now that phrase is only used uh, two other times in the Bible and both with a negative connotation. When a man of God, a prophet of God, was persecuted by King Ahab and he was put in prison. And he said, give him the bread of affliction. It was a a bread that was intended to remind them of the pain. And when you look at the Passover and you look back uh, at the Jews prior to their freedom, you know, God wanted them to remember that, you know, because it kind of thinks, I don't know, it, it keeps us in, in, in check, you know. Will you remember what life was like without Christ? You remember what life was like before Christ? You might even think what life would be like without Christ today. That's a terrible thought. I know I wouldn't have a family, I wouldn't be involved in ministry, I'd have no purpose. A lot of you guys right here, you'd be addicted to drugs. You'd be in prison. Many of you would be dead. It's good to think about that every once in a while. When the children of Israel were in Egypt, they were afflicted. Exodus 3.17, when God's telling Moses what to say to the people, he says, And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. In Exodus 4.31, so the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, they bowed their heads and worship. See, when they were in Egypt, they were being afflicted. Later we'll read in Deuteronomy twenty six six, but the Egyptians mistreated us and afflicted us. Nehemiah 9, verse 9, when he's recounting their time in Egypt, he said, You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt. You see, that was life apart from Christ. And at the same time, though, that's life sometimes even in Christ. Because remember, they're there in Egypt. Whose people are they? They're still God's people, huh? And, you know, sometimes when you're eating the bread of affliction, you're like, I don't want this, Lord. I don't want this, Lord. But look what the Lord did with the Jews. It's kind of interesting. God eventually came down to deliver his people from the affliction. But in the meantime, the affliction actually did a good work in the people. Remember in Exodus chapter one, when the Jews were, there was a population explosion. That's what it says in the living Bible, man. They were just boom. They were having kids like crazy, kind of like this church. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) No, I'm just joking. But they were just having kids like crazy, man. And so it says in Exodus one, there was a population explosion. And so, you know, the Pharaoh, he was like, man, they're becoming more numerous than we are. And so what ends up happening in Exodus 1, verse 11, it says, therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them, to afflict them with burdens. And they built for Pharaoh, supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But listen to this, the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. Isn't that interesting? The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew and grew and i'm telling you guys man when i read my bible i realize that that is the formula for growth even though i just don't like it even though there's something about me that runs from it that i tell the lord i make deals with the lord i say lord i'll tell you what i'll grow you don't have to do that or you don't have to do this and i'm different lord (laughs) And the Lord says, no, the only way you're really going to grow, Manny, I'm talking about depth, I'm talking about character, is going to be through the hard times. And I know there are some of you here today, you're going through the hard times, but I've had a chance to talk to some of you, and I notice you're growing. And there are things and there are changes that are happening in your life that are just beautiful. But it's the affliction, huh? It's the hard times. And that's okay. When they were afflicted and they were eating that bread of affliction, God was doing a work. They were multiplying. They were growing. You know, like I said, I wish it was different, but the bottom line is if we want to grow, we got to go through hard times. And as we draw nearer to God and we stay focused on Him through those hard times, we'll get better. Unless you take your eyes off the Lord and you will get bitter. you got to stay focused. In the fire, steel is formed, and from the tough times come character. I've always liked Psalm 119.67. It says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. That's cool, huh? Right here on the first Passover, they went from bondage to blessing, from the fire to freedom, from slaves to sonship, literally overnight. And God wanted them to remember the pain of the past and the good purpose it accomplished. And at the same time, while they're there eating the unleavened bread, there was another lesson that they needed to know. And that we see throughout the pages of Scripture. And that is that leaven is a picture of Of sin, right? Most of you probably knew that. They were not allowed to eat unleavened bread or leavened bread. And even more, it's kind of interesting in verse 4, it says, And no leaven shall be seen among you. I mean, they weren't allowed to eat it, man. They weren't even allowed to have it. Nobody could spot it. It should be gone. And as you read the scriptures, I think it's cool when you realize that that's the way it should be in our life. And it's interesting. The Feast of Unleavened Bread follows right after the Passover. And that's not random. And that's the way it should be for our life. Once Christ saves you, Christ wants to sanctify you. Now, for some of you here, when you first got saved, it was easy to walk, huh? For some of you here, I know when I first got saved, God just took over, man. And God just, I didn't sin for like, you know, 27 days. It was, I'm just joking. I don't know. But it was totally the Lord, you know. But then what he does is, you know, the honeymoon period is over. And then he says, okay, mijo, I want you to walk now. I want you to walk. I want you to learn my word, and I want you to, to obey it. And that's the way it should be. After the Passover should be unleavened bread. After we become Christians, we should become like Christ. After He purges us from our sin, you know, positionally, we should then be purged from our sin practically. Now, I know a lot of you are saying, yeah, but Manny, I'm not perfect. I'm not going to be perfect until I go to heaven. A lot of us here, we start making, you know, yeah, there are theological, you know, conclusions. But what ends up happening is a lot of times those very thoughts are the thoughts that hold you down. You want to know why? Because when we became a Christian, we became more than conquerors. More than conquerors. We were talking about that last night at the men's study, and I was asking them, what do you guys think that means, more than conquerors? And we weren't sure, but we knew this it was big. <laughs> it was big. Not only that, you know, when you think about a conqueror, what do you think? oh, he captured the land and you know whatever, man, this big old military victory, but a lot of times that military victory is easier than the, than the mastery of oneself. This is the one that you've got to defeat, and that time, a lot of times is the hardest one. but God has made us that. We saw last night in the study that we overcome, we become overcomers by our faith. We overcome the world. You don't have to sin. You don't have to have leaven all over your life. God's given us the victory in Christ. Wouldn't it be cool if the Feast of Unleavened Bread followed right after the Passover of our lives? Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? That after salvation comes sanctification? That right after Christ comes the Christian? That right after the cross for us would be the cross in us? That we would leave the leaven that we would sin less and less and less. In Scripture, leaven symbolizes evil of one kind or another because yeast is a substance that, though small and seemingly insignificant, rapidly grows and infects the whole lump of dough. Yeast represents the sins that belong to the old life. It says in 1 Corinthians 5.7, Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. You know, and I'm not an expert baker, but for those of you, you know, who use yeast, it's just a little bit, huh? You just need a little bit and it permeates the whole, the whole loaf. And that's what sin is. We're like, well, Lord, it's just a little bit. I'm just going to hang on to this little bit. And I'm telling you, Kill it. Slay all known sin in your life because that little leaven will leaven the whole lump and you can't serve two masters. We need to purge out the old leaven. We need to sentence and slay the sin within. How about you? Are you against sin? You guys probably would say yes, right? Unfortunately, I know people who approach sin with way too much toleration and moderation rather than catching the call of Christ for eradication of all known sin. Are you against sin? I like what Billy Sunday said. He said I read this today. I'm against sin. I'll kick it as long as I've got a foot and I'll fight it as long as I've got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I've got a head. I'll bite it as long as I've got a tooth. And when I'm old and fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum it till I go home to glory. <laughs> and it goes home to perdition. I mean, we just, whatever you guys have in your life, don't let, it, don't let it live. You see, we see the Passover. We see the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And God just He gives us these illustrations. But before the Feast of Unleavened Bread was the Feast of Passover. And while I encourage you with all my heart to love the Lord and to prove that love by obeying the Lord, remember, you guys, it must begin with His love for us. Right? And maybe there's some of you here today who don't know the Lord. Or maybe there's some of you here today who you haven't received that love that comes from Him. Let His love flood your life. And when it does, I think you go out and you live the life. Warren Wiersbe said, The blood shed by many lambs in Egypt delivered a nation on that first Passover night. But the blood of one lamb slain on the cross will deliver from judgment any lost sinner who will trust in Jesus Christ. And so in looking at this, we first see the Passover linked with the unleavened bread. And then in verses 9 through 12, we see the Feast of Weeks. Because look what it says. It says in verse 9, You shall count seven weeks from, for yourself. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the grain. And then you shall keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your gates, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are among you at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. And so later he's going to tell the men, these are the three feasts I want you to go you know, to the place that I choose. All you men, you got to get together. He says, first, the feast of Passover slash unleavened bread. Secondly, the feast of weeks. And this was a feast that was to be held seven weeks after the beginning of the barley harvest. Now in those days, in the culture of the day, um, a lot of the nations, they had feasts you know, regarding their agricultural seasons. But the Lord not only took the agricultural seasons, but he added a deeper meaning to it. For the Jews, it was a time of gratitude, joy, and compassionate giving. This feast eventually came to be known as the Feast of Pentecost. It's from the Greek word, which means 50, because on the 50th day after the sickle was put to the grain, the feast began. This time, there was no sacrifice required, but rather a freewill offering. This was to be a time of rejoicing before the Lord. These feasts, again, like you read there in verse 12, were great reminders. And again, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You know, I remember, and some of you, how many of you here were addicted to drugs or alcohol before you were a Christian? Probably all of us here, man. I wouldn't be surprised, huh? You were slaves, and there were other sins that you could not stop, and now God has given you the freedom, not to sin, but from sin, right? He set us free. And God says, I want you to remember that. And look what I've done in your life. It's not you, it's me, God says. From slaves to sons, It was clearly reason to rejoice. And whenever we meditate and contemplate our salvation rather than our circumstances, we will be people of joy, especially when we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And I know we go through hard times, you guys. And don't get me wrong. I mean, I know know, how life is, man. Jesus wept. and, And there will be times when you weep. But man man, make sure that you become individuals who are in tune with the salvation that you've been given. When you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, which happens to be what Pentecost ultimately points to, it's amazing what happens. You know, for by the Spirit, there would be power for witness and then there would be a harvest. Now again, look at verse 9. It says, You shall count seven weeks for yourself. Begin to count the seven weeks from the time you begin to put the sickle to the grain. And so now you're reaping in a harvest, huh? Harvest. That sounds familiar. Harvest. Where have I heard that before? You guys farmers? Well, kind of. There should be a harvest taking place. You know, we should be, by the power of the Holy Spirit, winning people to Jesus Christ. That's what happens when you celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. You know, there in Acts chapter 2, it says, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, the Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came with power for witness and weight to words. They spoke in tongues all the marvelous works of God, and thousands of people came to the Lord. You know, we need that in our life personally. And we need that in our life congregationally. I was talking to a person today, kind of cool, and they were just telling me what, you know how they were going out. And, and yesterday I was talking to a brother and he's out there witnessing to people. And I was telling him that's how it works. You know, sheep beget sheep. And together, congregationally, I pray in your heart, personally, there would always be that desire by the power of the Holy Spirit to bring in a harvest. You see, in looking at this, we see number one, the Passover of Christ. Number two, the Pentecost of the Holy Spirit. And then number three, we're going to see the tabernacles of the Father. Because look what it says here in verse 13. It says, You shall observe the feast of tabernacles, seven days when you have gathered from your threshing floor and from your winepress. And you shall rejoice. There it is again. God wants you guys to rejoice, okay? Smile. In your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, and the Levite, the weird people, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, everybody who's within your gates, seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place again which the Lord chooses. Because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you surely rejoice you see god wants them to rejoice you have the feast of passover the feast of pentecost and then the feast of tabernacles also known as the feast of booths and this festival celebrated the final in gathering and so this would happen right around our fall season not only of the harvest barley and wheat but also of the vineyards and fruit trees during this feast, the Jewish people lived in booths made of tree branches, a reminder of the years their ancestors lived in temporary dwellings as they wandered in the wilderness. Watch if you want to keep your finger here or your marker here and you go back to Leviticus chapter 23. somebody want to read verse 40? No, I'm just joking. I'll read it. It says, And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell, here it is right here, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so basically, God wanted them to go, I guess you could say go camping, you know. Um, they probably didn't have tents as nice as we do nowadays. Nowadays, I see some pretty nice tents, you know. But to get think about it, some branches, you just kind of, you know, put them together. Uh, I don't know, tie them together. And that I want you to live there for seven days. How many of you would do that? Say if God told you to. How many of you would do that? Okay, you're, I'll say yes. Some of you say no, no. You would have to do that. You would have to go camping for seven days. And you look at this and, and you see the Passover is Christ's purging of our sins. And, the, and the, uh, the day of Pentecost is the power of the Holy Spirit. And this Feast of Tabernacles is the provision of the Father that although they lived in booths and although they were you know wandering around think about it in the middle of nowhere for close to 40 years the lord had always you know provided for them they never needed to buy new converse man their shoes never wore out The Lord gave them meat. The Lord gave them manna. The Lord gave them water from the rock. Everything they needed. When the sun would come down, there would be the cloud to kind of give them shade, how important that is. And you know, at night when it was dark, He would provide the fire, the light in which the road they would travel. God was just providing for them. And I don't know if you're here today. I know some of you probably need a job or you know people who need jobs. And you know what? I just want to encourage you or you encourage them. Just seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be provided for you. You know, sometimes we have people come in and they want, you know, a hotel voucher or whatever, you know. And, you know, we'll give them food. We we don't normally give out hotel vouchers. You know, they're struggling in their job. And we just tell them, well, the first thing you got to do is you got to give your life to Christ. You know, we'll give you some food, but that's not going to fix things. What are you going to do next week? But when you become a follower of the Lord, he promises to always provide for you. The problem that we have is that we want certain things. Lord, I want a Hummer. I don't get it, Lord. And and God says, I'm sorry. I got a Pinto all lined up for you, or whatever. You know, <laughs> you know. And it's going to get you from point A to point B, or whatever. He might tell me, I wouldn't be surprised if my trust is getting old. One day the Lord say, Man, you need exercise. Okay, Lord, I get it. You know, all I know is this, man, that He'll provide for you. He knows your need, everything about your needs, even before you ask Him. And so as they're there and they're living in these tents, it would be a testimony of how God had provided them, not for just a little period of time. We're talking 38 years. And that's the way God is. You know, here we see the Lord would provide for them. Now, what happens when you go camping? I know when I go camping, I like it I, I do like camping to be honest with you, but it makes me appreciate my home when I get home. I'll be honest with you, huh? If you go on a missions trip and you're kind of excited about it and you're like, "Oh, this is cool, but then you know you're there for a while and you go, even just down to Mexico, man, just there, it makes you appreciate your home and God says, "Listen, I want you guys to go through this because not only is it a promise that I will take care of you in the past." But it's also a promise. As they were there, think about it, they were there camping in the wilderness that God did have a home for them. And his promise came to pass. And so the Lord, he's telling them, you know, celebrate the holidays, you guys. For us, we have Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving. I don't know. um, Maybe just a couple others. I'm not really sure. But, you know, do it right, though. Okay, it's okay. The Jews actually added a couple other holidays. The you know, Hanukkah was another one they asked, the, the Feast of Purim. They weren't mandatory, but they were something that God just kind of brought together as a congregation to just give them those fresh reminders and they would pass it on to the to the next generation. I see. And so he says, Okay, here you got the Passover, unleavened bread, you've got this. Feast of Weeks and Tabernacles. But look what he says in verse 16. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Now he mentions the feast, but then he mentions a few things about the feast. Number one, men were to lead... In these feasts, and they were to go up to Jerusalem. Like John Corson said, although the women and children were invited to attend these three feasts, the men were required to do so. You know, we even see Jesus uh, in the three years of ministry going and celebrating the Passover, John chapter 2, and chapter 6, and chapter 11. There's three Passovers that are mentioned in John. And Paul the Apostle, when he's on the other side of the world, he's over there, you know, in. in uh, Corinth, he says, "Man, I got to travel all the way over to Jerusalem. I want to make, you know, this feast, and that was cool, you know. And I think it's really cool when you think about that, man, how God would gather the men together. You know, Sunday night we had a really cool prayer meeting, and one of the guys came up and he prayed something that really, it really blessed my heart. He said that in all the other churches that he had attended, that it was only, you know, the women that, that you know, seventy-five percent were women." and uh, and he said that in this church he sees the way that God is stirring up not only the women but the men. And you come to the men's fellowship and then you've got the women's study and prayer meeting and it's just amazing, you guys. A lot of times nowadays in America not a lot of men have caught the vision to lead or not a lot of men are on fire for the Lord. But it's cool what I see in this church. I see godly women. I see Godly men. I see men, mighty men of valor. I see men with stout hearts. I see God doing a work, and I want to encourage you, men, continue to catch that vision, continue to lead. God requires it of you. You got to go to Jerusalem. Eventually, we would see it would go to Shiloh, and then in 1st Chronicles chapter 11, they captured Jerusalem. But God would bring the men there. And it's a cool thing when you look at that. A few things about the feast. Number one, men were to lead. Number two, God would choose a place to meet his people in that special way. And we see this over and over again. Uh, We read it today. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. They were going to go, it says in verse 16, before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses. And so men were to lead. And God would choose a place to meet his people in that special way. In the book of Joshua and Judges, it was Shiloh. And during the reign of David, he captured Jerusalem. And so that's where they would go. But question, where do you go today? Israel? No, nope, that's not it. Where do you go today? Or let me put it this way. What What is the temple of God Today. Two things. First Corinthians chapter three says the congregation is. Matthew 18, where two or more are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst of them. First Corinthians chapter three, speaking of the congregational setting, he says, You are the temple of God. So, men, you come to the temple, so to speak. You come to where there's that congregation. Some guys think, oh, I don't have to fellowship. Yes, you do. Because that's where God will meet us in the congregation. There's a congregational temple, but then later in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, what does it say? Your body is the temple. And what does that mean? Well, that means kind of like one-on-one. Where you go and you get away and you as a man, especially as men, but it applies to all of us, but especially as men you go alone and you spend time with God and you and you go to where God chooses to meet you and he will meet you there when you get rid of all the distractions when you you know get rid of your cell phones when you get rid of the other books sometimes and it's just you the lord and the word and he'll meet you there cuz men are supposed to lead and how can we lead if we're, we're not meeting with our leader I've always told you guys that the leaders are the ones who know the way and they go the way and they show the way. But you got to know the way. How can you be a good leader? Only by being a good follower. Experience isn't it. Intellect isn't it. It's by having a personal relationship with God and you meet with Him there. See? And then you can lead your family. You see, we are the temple personally And congregationally. These are three things God says about the feast. And the third thing He says is that there's not to come empty handed. Verse 17 Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which He has given you. And so when they were to go to the feast, they were to give. And you know, I just want to encourage you today, not necessarily financially, but I want to encourage you today to give what you can. As a matter of fact, I want to encourage you today that when you come to a congregational setting, that you come to give. I mean, it's, it's cool to receive, and some people just want to receive, but I'm learning, you know, in, in, in fellowship and after church service and things like that, or even before church service, that the Lord just intersects your lives with people. And people are what it's about, remember? It's about the Lord and his people. And you get to talk to them and you get to pray with them. And you get to encourage them and you get to counsel with them in God's word. You come not just to get, but you come to give and you see a need and, and you're willing to, to give. John Corson said the same thing. He said, the same is true today. When we come before the Lord, when we meet together, we're to come ready to give. We're to come saying, who can I pray for? Who can I encourage? Who can I help? The brother or sister who understands this is the one who leaves times of fellowship and corporate fellowship with a heart full, excited for the Lord. And so he says, you come, verse 17, and you give as, as you're able. And yeah, that, that does mean, you know, finances and things like that. But, but even more, even deeper than that, because I know God, he's going to provide. I know that the giving has to do with your walk has to do with your commitment to Christ. has to do with your, your willingness to just fully surrender to God. You know, so come and, and be willing, willing to give. These are things he wants them to know. And then he closes with a couple of things, a few more things. Verse 18, You shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which the Lord your God gives you according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe for... Look at this. A bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. And so you shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land which the Lord your God has given you. And one thing I've noticed, and I think that, you know, you, we got to know how God is, is that there's no partiality with God. He has no favorites. And and we can't either. And then we gotta be just in our judgments. We see that over and over again in the scriptures. Exodus 232, 236, you shall not pervert judgment. It talks about these judges that would be sitting at the gates. Uh, more than likely, real quick, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter one these are the kinds of guys that we're looking for to make the judgments. It says in chapter 1, verse 13, Choose wise, understanding, and knowledgeable men from among your tribes, and I will make them heads over you. And you answered me and said, This good thing which you have told us to do is good, and so I took the heads of your tribes, wise and knowledgeable men, and made them heads over you, leaders of thousands and hundreds, fifties, tens, and Officers for your tribes, these are men who knew the word and they knew how to apply the word, right? Those were the judges that would be there. And justice is so important for us. If you don't have that heart of, you know, fairness across the board, then you can't be a good leader. The Lord told us in Micah 6.8, He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's how important it is. When the Lord was speaking to the Pharisees, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Chapter 16, back in Deuteronomy, verse 21, it says, You shall not plant for yourself any tree as a wooden image near the altar which the Lord your God, which you build for yourself to the Lord your God, and you shall not set up a sacred pillar which the Lord your God hates. Basically, from what I understand, the archaeological Bible says the chosen symbol of the fertility cult of Asherah was the trunk of a tree. And so this is kind of the explanation for the prohibition against the planting of trees near the altar of the Lord. And, you know, in closing, uh, one of the things, and I don't know if you guys noticed it or not, but notice again there in verse 21, which you shall build for yourself to the Lord your God. Did you notice that in this chapter, the phrase your God was found 18 times? Did anybody know that? Anybody count while we were going through? Your God. He says, I don't want any idols. I don't want any rival thrones. Because I am the Lord, your God. It's kind of interesting. I looked this up. This phrase is found 483 times in the Bible, your God, and 241 of those times in the book of Deuteronomy. It's like more than half, right around half of all the times the word your God is put together. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is the book that tells us how to go in and enjoy the land and how to stay in the land to stay under that sphere of god's blessing and one of the most important things you guys is to make sure that you have an understanding of who he is who is this god you know who is it and we can look at his character and everything but one of the most important things we need to know is that he is your god And that does two things to me. Number one, it tells me that I need to stay pure because he's my God. Nothing else is. And second, it tells me that I need to stay personal, that he is my God. And as I'm about to enter into this promised land, this is where I belong, a land of victorious Christian living and to stay pure and to stay personal. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. There's so much here, Lord. Thank you for the Passover, Jesus, for the purity that you give. I thank you for the Feast of Pentecost, Holy Spirit, for the power you provide. And I thank you for the Feast of Tabernacles. How Father, you have promised to always provide for us. Lord, I pray for us as men here, as leaders here, that we would lead with integrity righteousness, passion. Help us, Lord God, to be people of justice, people of holiness, to know who you are, that you are our God. That it's not a religion, that it really truly is a relationship. It's not a program. It really is a person. And we thank you because we know you're here. You said, you promised that were two or more gathered in my name, that I would be there in the midst of them. And so, Jesus, we want to tell you that we love you. And I just want to say, Lord, we can't wait for the day that we see you. Lord, until then, strengthen us. Lord, give us your grace. To be um, veterans, Lord, not necessarily in a war uh, for physical land or physical freedom, but help us to be veterans, to be soldiers in this war for spiritual land, for spiritual freedom, for people that you love so much. We do love you, Lord. We thank you. Do a new work in our hearts. I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.